Welcome back to Sharing Air, the podcast where we seek out and connect to our community through science, art, humanities, and emerging conversations against the backdrop of great change during these times of pandemic. I'm your co-host, Punxsutawney Phil, under the alias of Andy Vasco, Associate Provost and Director of Transdisciplinary Studies at Claremont Graduate University, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lorianne Farrell, under the alias of Andy Vasco, Dean of the School of Arts <laughs> and Humanities at Claremont Graduate University, Andy Punxsutawney Phil. Yeah, it's such a fun name to say. It is. How did you know how to pronounce it? Um, I'm not sure if I pronounced it correctly or not. Is that correct? Well, I don't know, but anything that has an N, an X, and an S next to each other, it's quite interesting. I mean, what's that? Oh, anyway. Because it's How not did I get from there? Punks- <laughs> yeah, it's not from Punxsutawney. Like, it's from someplace called Gobbler's Knob, which is not nearly <laughs> as eloquent. Um, how did you get there? I got there because I was thinking that it was early February. And what does early February remind me of? I was paying attention. And then I saw a picture of a giant groundhog. And it said under the caption, Punxsutawney Phil. And I said, that is a really good name. And it got me thinking about the, uh, the, the movie Groundhog Day, uh, ah. which ironically, uh, you know, the newscaster, the Bill Murray character, his name was Phil, I think, to go along with the, the theme from, from the Groundhog, uh, living the same day over and over again. And there was a nice little essay about this um, that I read. I think it was in the Hedgehog Review. Or as a blog and <laughs> Groundhog and Day like, of the Hedgehog Review. <laughs> yeah, they, we just have a lot of burrowing creatures involved with this process. <laughs> well, that would be everybody right now. Exactly. And the sense of it being Groundhog Day that, you know, sometimes I'm in a time loop. And the idea that today and tomorrow and the next day, there were jokes about this early on in the pandemic when people would say things like, oh, it's 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 March. 87th or, you know, whatever ridiculous day it was because our sense of time is so off uh, in this time loop. But I think it has broader connotations. I don't know. Do you feel like you've been in a time loop, Lorianne? Yeah, the kind that I can't decide whether it's that airport feeling where you're, you know, where you just don't quite know where you are and when. And I wake up a lot of mornings and think, is this Sunday? Is this Saturday? Is this Monday? And uh, I find that very unnerving. And it doesn't and work, even though we're working from home and everything, it work doesn't seem to punctuate the day in the way that it did when you got out of your house and went to your office. And I find that amazing because it's not like we don't have the same sorts of schedules. It's as if the house itself is a burrow. Yes. It's weird to have a lack of segregation, both spatially and temporally, that a workplace would allow in the past. And I know definitions of work have changed. And how many times have we heard now that you know the future of work is going to be remote or the options for being remote are much more flexible than they used to be? Uh, and that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. But then I'm not. conversely, <laughs> I do miss, I we had an exercise in our staff meeting the other day that was Name 10 things as a group that you miss about working on campus together. Whoa, is that sad? Oh, I bet. It brought back so many of those, you know, really fond memories. And people have a tendency to, to focus on scenes in there. I love the way that, you know, the, the grass would crunch right after, you know, very poetic moments in, in that. And very moving because that kind of specialized space for work in in nostalgia is not always perfect in the moment but when you're looking back on it it was we really i really missed it i really oh. missed being with other people and 
what that provides in my life and a sense that the the seasons do change and being in southern california i think adds a certain strangeness to the time loop because i'm thinking this is really cold and it's 60 something degrees outside today it's not the negative 16 in other parts of the country yeah, there are people in michigan that were going to take issue with you and i think that's actually you know the the groundhog day aspect of things where the you know the predictive part of it is that this little creature this little chubby creature is going to come out of its burrow and be able to tell us whether or not there's going to be um, six more weeks of winter or six more weeks of spring speaks in a sense to our need to know what's happening for the next six weeks. And that's the other side of, of this kind of sense of being lost always in the airport. You just don't know what's going to happen next. And you want badly to be able to pin down, like, where am I going to be in six weeks? Are we all going to be vaccinated? Am I going to be able to see my mom? You know, are we going to be able to go to the restaurant? And the questions, we've asked them for so long that they're getting exhausting, and that adds to the sense that we're playing the same stuff over and over again because there's no solution and there's no resolution. But I totally agree about, about missing the office. And I also wonder, I mean, you and I have done this entire podcast since last March without ever seeing each other while we talk. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that means actually that, you know, I interrupt you a lot and, but that's, you also in meetings with me in which we can see each other and I still interrupt, but it's, I don't know. I think it would be really nice to be in, in one of the, you know, in, 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 um, in the broadcasting uh, space at the university and kind of see you while we're talking and to see our guests and everything. It's, it's, I miss that part of it too. This has been a very interesting way to learn how to do a podcast. You have to rely on other senses. Uh, I'm, I'm paying more attention to like hearing you breathe before you might want to interrupt rather than looking for facial recognition. Or if I realize I've been rambling on too long, which is my tendency, um, then I start getting an internal sense of time of how long has my voice been rambling on before I just, just stop and, and let someone else take over. Well, because you ramble on is why I interrupt you. Um. <laughs> That's why we are yin and yang for each other. We are. We do a good, we, this is this is a good matchup. I was going to tell you, there's another movie that I've been thinking of a lot lately that's related to Groundhog Day, and it's only related because the monotony of the days repeating has changed the ecosystem in which I can be annoyed with people and things. Hmm. So it used to be that I, you know, like for the people that I would see maybe in the office who after day 65, I'd be like, ah, they leave their stuff all the time on my desk or something along those lines, even though I didn't have too many things to complain about. But I live in an apartment with a bunch of people who are either living by themselves or with one other individual, and it's pretty quiet. But my neighbor and I, I think, are starting to feel like we're married, even though I wouldn't know her name or what she actually does. Uh, we just are annoyed with each other in that what, way that we like, like hear each other living... like through the walls or just like yeah yeah. So her issue with me is that I do my dishes at all hours of the day, and because I'm cooking all the time. And my issue with her is that she orders DoorDash and Uber Eats all the time, and there's knocks on her door all the time, which I think are mine, and I have to you know jump up. And it wouldn't have been anything; it just would have been a minor grumbling. But now we've gotten into like my door being knocked on to ask, can I please stop running the water because she can't hear herself think. And I'm thinking, okay, like there, there are things to be upset about in this pandemic. Uh, and then there are things that you really can't do a whole lot about. And yeah, but they drive you crazy. This sounds like but, the telltale heart, right? You know, yeah. you tear off the floorboards. <laughs> it's the beating of his hideous heart. And, you know, and you, you get the end of that Ed, you know, Edgar Allan Poe story and you're like, 
the old guy was just looking at you, dude. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> We've gotten to the telltale heart. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> telltale but DoorDash. I am so annoyed with it that I've started thinking about Hunger Games. That this is like, not that we have to to worry Kill about offing someone from another yeah, galaxy sector. It's that she's been getting special deliveries all the time from donors and sponsors that are sending her things like the Starbucks or the whatever that, that she's getting. And, you know, like, granted, I could do this for myself, and I'm sure she's doing it for herself. But to me, I'm like, Hunger Games. And that is having me think about whenever anybody says to me, Imagine if this happened 20 years ago when we couldn't order anything. We didn't have Amazon. We didn't have, or I think Amazon might have been around 20 years. I don't remember when they became, when they really rose to doing more than books. Oh, who but, knows what 20 years ago was? It was like yesterday. Yeah, with 20. COVID now stuff. I say 20 years ago, I'm like, I think I was an adult 20. I was an adult 20 years ago. Crap. But the idea that we live in a world where being at home, we're really now dependent on delivery. Uh, for everything. And that has taken on a new and important meaning for us to be situated in a space where we're doing our thing every day. And what breaks up our day is what comes to our door. It's a very different way of living. I'm looking out my window. There's a, there's a domino. I swear to you, the domino's car just drove by. It's not coming to my house, but what I, what, but think about what you're doing to punctuate your day. I mean, Punxsutawney Phil, you might be, but I'm thinking of you as like, domesticated Danny or something, washing dishes all the time. That's charming. But I think, <laughs> you know, if she were I'll on this podcast happy. right now, I'd be like, yeah, the clinking and the constant, like he's so, you know, everything's got his, all of his cups have to be all in the drying rack. So, you know what, we're actually, you know, that's, the, that's called getting on the last nerve. But I'm thinking about how this is actually playing out across. I'll just, I'll just give Claremont as an example. You know, the idea that, you know, people are, so tense at home and then they're, you know, they're tense when they're outside. You watch people give each other a wide berth or look at all the people scowl at the people eating on the, you know, back on the sidewalk restaurants, or, you know, we're in a really interesting phase of judgment right now because we're not, you know, we don't have comfortable places to, to kind of live in. So because life has become so complicated, so difficult and so boring all at the same time, um, I think we're, we're kind of covering, you know, the space there with a, a, like judging each other. You have a mask on, your mask isn't good enough. You just stuck that down under your nose. You're not supposed to be out eating. Why are you talking to your friend that way? And I, I think it's just what people do at close quarters and, and we're at close quarters right now. And it also doesn't speak to like, I always think that representation for what we're going through helps with the coping. And when all you see are families that are singing together in their living room, or doing their projects, you like you're not really capturing what it's like for single people who are frustrated. That's this is true. This is true. And and just think if you live next door to them and you could hear them all the you know, be like the Who's down in Whoville. It'd be horrible. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. also there's the, you know, certain kinds of creativity, you know, basically thrive right now. I was really interested in the kinds of things that have been coming across um, the newsfeed, all right? And my favorite one, I'll start with just a, a, like a like a little silly one, you know, it's kind of the Bodie McBoatface of this time of the year. In Scotland, they've begun naming their snow plows and they're naming them things like Gritney Spears, um, and which is just like really funny or Spready Van Halen. And you can actually go, they've actually developed a map where you can watch to see where they are because right now they're snowed in, in Scotland. Okay. So, so the, you know, there's COVID and now they're snowed in and it's cold and it's dark cause it's up North and 
you know, this is what people do to uh, pass the time is to, you know, make up funny names. It's a, it's a peculiarly British kind of thing to do or the, you know, island of Britain kind of thing to do. Um, but there, I also there, think, there you is know, creativity, yeah. I guess we say this every week, which is like it's Groundhog Day, but I think in many ways we're, we feel like we're at breaking point over and over and over again. Um, I'm noticing in the news that you can just tell that, that people are like, when can I go and see my family now that half of us are vaccinated? Um, when can, you know, it, it feels almost as if the experts are feeling like they're being asked to relent a little bit, you know, that, that they want to be able to give better news. They want to talk about the, the trade-offs that it might, you know, when is it more dangerous to leave people alone? I mean, truly alone for months on end rather than spread a virus, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of that news kind of comes back to this this way of viewing the the process is a very linear one and very like one party at a time. So, okay, I'm vaccinated now, so I'm fine. Well, we don't know if you're fine, actually. We think you might be fine. So we're going to have to give you some advice with public health in mind that may or may not be in line with your values and what you, what you believe you need for yourself. So we're going to leave it amorphous. And so there's a lot of integrating and synthesizing that an individual has to do to figure out what kind of choices to make. So I know people who said, I'm a grandparent. I want to see my kids. I just got my second vaccine. Can I do it? And I thought, um, mm, I'm not the right person to answer this question, but here's what I've been able to find by reading through the literature. And, and I have to tell you that most of the time in this process of figuring out how do I create the the type of advice that I'd want to follow by, like, what what am I reading that's so good? And I came across a blog that I would recommend for everybody. It's Kismikia Corbett's blog. And mm-hmm. Kismikia Corbett, for anybody who doesn't know, is the lead the scientist. the best first the- name in the history of first names. It's a great name. It's and her And her blog handle or her Twitter handle is Kizzy PhD. And what really struck me about her is that she has not only the story of developing the COVID vaccine, but also the data that she knows and what she's seeing at all the levels of this that indicates something else is going on. So she speaks really uh approachably about everything. And if she wants to get jargony, she gets jargony. But she is remarkably uh, good at communicating something that's kind of difficult to to understand in the first place. But she's the first person that I've heard talk about things in a way that makes more like, she'll say something like in one of her posts, 43 days after the vaccine is really the after the second dose is when you have the most protection. Like oh, or explaining a concept of like uh, sterile. Right, it's like immunity. six more weeks of winter. It's you know it, we need these kinds of deadlines and these and these markers. And so she's is she the one that's the she's leads in the Moderna vaccine. Is that what I understand? Yes. She, so she's she's led the Moderna vaccine, and and it's interesting because she's had a little press here and there, um, and I think that she deserves a lot more press. Um, I think that. Uh, she's one of the important voices of now. Uh, I know Fauci is important, uh, but I think that she has just as much, if not, granted, she's young. Um, I think that she, being on the front lines of this, though, uh, she also speaks to a more in-touch crowd. So she is a 34-year-old African-American woman who in the time of her career is probably going to be remembered forever 
um, at a very young age for this work that she's doing on, you know, billions of lives being affected. Right. She's come to be at the right place at the right time. And what a, what a time to actually think about her contributions altogether. I mean, was we were talking about Women in Science Day a little earlier before we started um, recording. It, it's just passed, hasn't it? Uh, Women in Science Day was yesterday. Yeah. That's fantastic. And February is Black History Month as well. So what we have here is, right, is this wonderful, talk about intersectionality. Yep. And, and she is uh, someone definitely worth celebrating. I mean, I, I think we're going, I think the reason why people were scared before to say or do anything is because they didn't know how well the Moderna virus vaccine was, the, the Moderna vaccine was going to work for the coronavirus, but it's remarkably effective. And that's good to hear. But I just wish that we yes. could reopen our, our vaccination sites. Um, well, let's, uh, let us, let us yeah. actually, let us actually make sure that, that we declare today Kismikia Corbett Day on the Sharing right. Air podcast. Um, and uh, expect. Everybody who's listening, whatever day that this finally drops, um, you raise a glass to her. And because every day for the rest of this month and for the rest of this year will be Kismikia Corbett Day. I'm just so, you know, I remember when science wasn't even seen to be the, the realm of women, right? It was always these men in lab coats. And um, I just hope to hear now I'm going to be, be watching for what she has to say, because I think the capacity to actually explain difficult ideas in um, a a pointed and and coherent and clear way that everyone can understand is the is the great talent of smart people no matter what field they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I heard her on a, another podcast called This Week in Virology because I thought, what would be the hippest podcast to be listening to right now? I know I'll, I'll search for the virology podcast, and the the <laughs> podcast it was, it was heavily so organized. Hip. I, you know, that's <laughs> when I walk into a room, they know that guy is where the party is. That's right. You're just like, the, um, you're the hero of that song. What is hip? Tell me, tell me. I mean, that is fantastic. But go ahead. I'm sorry. That's that's okay. I, I was rambling. You, you you should have come in. You, you know, that's interesting. There's like a hazing process that goes on in any academic field. So here you've got this, this viral immunologist who's maybe the most important or the second most, because she's, she's a co- co-lead with, mm-hmm. I think, Bruce Graham at, at, at uh, the Vaccine Research Center. And so like she's she's being interviewed by this by this group and they're very technical and she can handle everything technical and then turn it into something an audience member who isn't a virologist understands as well. Oh. So it's really rare, as you said, but it wasn't just that she has to simplify for the sake of simplifying it's she's aware that the audience might not all be virologists and she's simplifying the things that she knows that this might be it's just very very well done and i actually don't think of that so much as simplifying i think of that as translating um and translating and and not because science is a foreign language it should not be but because you know translation simply means you know moving from one to one venue to another if you, you know, that's yep. the, the root of the word. And that's what she's doing. She's actually talking to two venues. Yep. 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 So I was very excited to find a new Twitter follow feed feed. to fo- I can say this Twitter feed to follow. Um, <laughs> very good. And, <laughs> it's, it's, a, hey, it's a process, Lorian. After punks a you can do anything. Yeah, that also took some practice before I said that there was me in front of a mirror that that was like red leather, yellow leather. Um, punxatani, 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 and and you know what? We never could tell that you did that kind of preparation. It's absolutely natural. But I'm sorry, the Twitter feed. 
so the Twitter, one of the things that came up in this that also took me down a rabbit hole was why mRNA vaccines are used now and why they're used so successfully. And uh, it's because there's a confluence of technologies that made it possible. And that we've known for a while that mRNA would be a key to a really good vaccine. It's just how did you deliver it to inside a cell, which was a tricky, tricky thing. But with nanotechnologies, they have been able to encapsulate and deliver the mRNA, uh, which is one of the first big victories for nanomedicine. Uh, I love and the so, sound of nanomedicine. Doesn't it sound cool? And, and in the tiny. process of it, it's fantastic voyage. It's 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 totally journey right, or that, into that the ride body. in the old Disney in the old Disneyland where you were inside the human body. Yes, it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is, and so. The, the nano medicine was also, the nano was in the news this last week because our next guest had introduced a term to talk about what it's like to work successfully at home um, with the idea of being on a scale of not looking at macro and not even looking at micro, but looking at, at mm-hmm. nano. And I was wondering if we could introduce her now. Oh, I think we should. All right. So... Our guest today is Dr. Gloria Gonzalez, who is an associate professor of psychology at Claremont Graduate University. Her studies involve the disciplines of occupational health psychology and positive organizational psychology, focusing on stress, work-life issues. Oh my gosh, we could talk about all this stuff. Victimization, incivility and civility, and positive organizational interventions to enhance well-being and performance. She is also associate editor of Work and Stress Journal and is a, and, and a, recently has explained a, a feminist lens on positive organizational psychology. So Dr. Gloria Gonzalez, welcome to Sharing Air. Welcome, Gloria, and thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We need you. It's obvious we that do. we need you. <laughs> we're, we're getting angry at each other for washing dishes. At this point, I think we need uh, some kind of intervention for the incivility going on in our in our private workplaces. I actually, I was thinking about you know the two things that you said, right? Like that you were listening to podcasts and that you were washing dishes. And I was actually thinking maybe that's why you're washing so many dishes because that's your excuse to listen to podcasts. Oh. You know what? I I do learn a lot when I'm washing dishes. <laughs> Gloria, that's it's brilliant. Real... Tell us what else Andy does. <laughs> well, I'm just guessing because I'm like, that frequency of washing dishes, there has to be something else apart from washing the dishes that it's drawn to. <laughs> you know, my grandmother would only allow herself to watch TV while she was ironing. She yeah, was guilty my... otherwise. That's my mom. My mom irons while watching TV, and I don't know. I don't do neither of those things. I don't iron, and I don't watch TV. <laughs> That's why you can do all these other things and write on all these <laughs> subjects and be so brilliant and work so hard. Um, I'm curious about nano transitions. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of how tiny that would be from my understanding of nano. What do you mean by that, Gloria? Well, it, it comes from research on on career and organizational psychology. And it really like we first talk about macro transitions in the beginning, like in the beginning of when we were studying these things uh, in terms of like transitioning from one position to another, like, for example, a promotion or transitioning from school to work or from work to retirement. So those are the macro transitions that we talk about in organizational psychology. Um, then uh, with boundary theory, um, to, uh, boundary theory is a theory used by work 
family scholars to explain the relationships between work and personal life or work and family. I like to say personal life because uh, we have a very concrete idea of families um, or a very uh, traditional uh, image of families that dot and globe everybody. Like, for example, Andy was just talking about, you know, it's not the same to be single in the pandemic than living with your family in a pandemic. So anyways, um, what I'm trying to say is that this theory, the boundary theory, was trying to explain how we transition from work to our personal life. And there's transitions at the beginning of the day. So you're commuting. Laurie, you were talking about, like, you know, coming out of your house and going to work or coming back or during lunch. So those would be micro transitions. And that's how we have been using them in literature for like 20 years. Um this year, my amazing uh, grad students, Alisa Birbaum, um, Megan Benson, and Chloe Darlington, decided that they wanted to do a study with remote workers, those that were just suddenly forced into this full-time remote work from your house. So they have interviewed uh, 40 uh, people uh, mm-hmm. since summer, and, and we started to discover, or well, discover, to notice that people were talking about transitioning in and out of their work while at home to do personal life things during the day. Like, it's, it's like more like a flux, right? Kind of like what yes. Andy does, right? Like, oh, I'm going to cook and then I'm going to wash dishes. And while I'm washing dishes, I'm going to listen to this podcast because then it's going to, you know, inform me into this. So there's all this, and we call them nano because some of them can be really short, uh, but others can be a little bit longer, but it's more about how much we're transitioning in and out during the day. And it's not really a micro transition uh, because it's not commuting. We don't commute at home and we don't have the boundaries uh, that we used to have that were usually time and space boundaries have disappeared mm-hmm. because we're working from home. There's no boundaries. You know, I wanna I wanna say that there's one group of, of people and they work at universities that might have might learn a lot from this because they have actually been doing it all along. And that is those of us that actually and I would not be one of them because I can't do this, who write their books at home. Mm-hmm. One of the jokes in the, you know, long before the pandemic, the, the joke was, you know, if you ever wanted to get some housework done around the house, just decide that today's the day you're going to finish that article. <laughs> yes. And then before you know it, you're polishing the silver, uh, something that you could have cared less about, you know, for most of your life prior to that. And so that, you know, so I wonder if we're going to, you know, that that's, I love the idea that there's, it's just such a tiny switch but it means everything to us right now. And we're actually treating it like a boundary, whereas before we saw it as a, as an intrusion or as a, as a distraction. Yeah, um, and I, uh, sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, 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 please do. I was going to know. say that we actually found like a participant <laughs> who actually, uh, you know, had that experience, right, of procrastinating in your, own, in your own home. She was unable to regulate those transitions. So she would find herself in the middle of the day scrubbing her tap. and I have a lot of things to do but I have this need to scrap my tab and for for us that was a good example of a nano transition that doesn't help well-being and doesn't help performance Um, Mm. so um, so we started to see how people were transitioning in a healthy way and a way that will help their well-being and their productivity but then other people were doing it very well and um, 
and that's when we found that um and it's, it's funny that the podcast um is air is about air because these are the air nano transitions that we we figure out that we're um at, uh, they're autonomous they're intentional mm-hmm. and they're regulated so that's the acronym, <gasps> An acronym. yes oh that's so clever yeah, yeah, that's Say that's my again, students. Please? Of course, of course, I'm not as clever. These were my students who figured this out. Um, oh, spoken <laughs> like a true CGU professor. Our <laughs> students are wonderful, but but please t- please explain that again. I want to hear. Okay, so an Anna transition, we figure by you know analyzing all these interviews and trying to understand what people were telling us, um, is when you transition out of work. And you do it in an autonomous way. So it's not an interruption. Or if it is an interruption, you kind of take the advantage of, oh, I'm interrupting now, but I'm going to transition to do something and make that decision autonomously. And autonomy and intentionality, that is the second part, are kind of related. You are doing that transition with an intention. So for example, let's take the dish, the washing dishes with podcasts. I love this. <laughs> washing dishes with Andy Bosco. That, that's going to be the next podcast after eating a microphone. Yeah. So, so it's autonomous. Andy decides when the dishes are, you know, when there's enough of a pile so he can start uh, washing the dishes. Uh, but also there's an intention uh, of I'm going to, like, for example, I'm going to tidy up because I cannot work with, um, with the mess that is in the kitchen, but also there's intention also of saying like, I'm going to wash the dishes and maybe I'm going to meditate or be mindful while I'm washing the dishes. Or maybe I'm, you know, I'm going to take this advantage of finishing up that podcast that I was listening to that is going to help me with something else at work. So that's the intention. And then uh, the last one that is the R of air is regulated. Andy mm-hmm. is going to regulate this transition. So it's going to have a beginning and an end. So he's going to be doing it until he finished washing the dishes. And then after that, he's like, okay, I finished. I tidy up. I actually finished listening to the podcast. I, go, I can go back and check my email or start doing another task. So when I found, we found that when people were explaining their nanotransitions as air nanotransitions, they also were telling us that their days were more balanced, that they felt okay, and that they felt that they were productive. Wow. This and makes, Andy, oh, you are not presenting that dishwashing podcast thing as, as, as a nanotransition at all. You know, I have a new pair of dishwashing gloves to make it more intentional and more autonomous and, and more uh, of, of a specialized ceremonial act when mm-hmm. I do it. And so I think that this is going to become even more productive. But I can also see from what you're saying, Gloria, of when it you get something that's nano, but it's really not adaptive. So if your kid comes running in during your Zoom meeting mm-hmm. and you say, hold on, I have to go you know, handle this real quick because there's a crisis at school or when... I'm turning the water of the dishes on and my neighbor is trying to work and the noise of the clanking and everything in the middle of the day is interrupting her work day or vice versa, the doorbell that I think is mine. When I take out that autonomy and which then subsequently removes the intention and everything else I'm trying to align with it, then it's much more disruptive than it is helpful. So if I'm in control of it and it's something that I can kind of put a package around and put it into my day in a way that I, I decide the beginning, middle and end, then it adds a, a is it a sense of well-being to me or is it a satisfaction or does it add a, like what's the measure that's better that comes out of this? Um, I don't know. I actually like, well, what you were saying is like that the regulation is really important. And um, 
I think that we this was a qualitative study, so we were looking at themes and things, seeing how things emerge from the life experience of our participants. So we didn't measure anything specifically in particular. We asked them like, how does like one of the questions was how does look like a how how a balanced day looks like to you, right? Like, and they they well, I feel balanced when you know they. It's like this, or I actually feel that I was very productive that day. You know, they, they would say things like that. Uh, or at the end of the day, I felt satisfied with my day. Um, so it's kind of like a more like a, a broad uh, description of well-being, uh, if I may say. Uh, but also like it's interesting because um, the regulation part, we also found examples of people saying, yeah, I decided to watch this 30-minute show that it will, you know, will help me with my mood. And then they ended up watching like three hours of Netflix. Mm. And there's like, it was autonomous, it was intentional, but then they lost it at the regulation, right? Because then three hours <laughs> later, you're like, oh my God, I had to do all these things. And then the people who didn't regulate that well actually were the ones who were working on weekends. And, you know, they were taking the flexibility too far, uh, and when you have so much flexibility and you don't have uh, ability to regulate, that's when, you know, um, remote work may not work that well for you because you need some kind of external regulation if you cannot regulate yourself. But we can train people to do that. We that's can, we really can interesting. That's really interesting, Gloria, because I'm thinking about how that coincides with one of the great, you know, sort of the other sort of um, this I wouldn't call it. It was like a. It was like a, a pedagogical movement called Pomodoro, where you actually, mm -hmm. for people who are having trouble with writer's block or with sitting down to work, would set a timer for an hour. Yes. And the reason they called it Pomodoro is because it started with a little thing that looked like a tomato. It was a timer that looked mm -hmm. like a tomato, and you would say to people. Um, this became all the rage for a while. You know, when you were talking with people that were having writing block, you would say, uh, just sit for an hour. When the, when the alarm goes off, no matter what you've done or not done, get up and you're done. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that that extreme regulation was actually a spur to productivity. If you did that every day at the same time, is that at all related to this? Or, um, you know, I'm thinking of the kinds of delineations that you're, that you're talking is about here. It's related somehow. Yeah, let me think about it. Because um, some participants also talk about how um, doing one task after the other, like kind of like uh, thinking about their day in tasks. And it depends on your job, really. Um, but they would say, I do a task, and then I take a break, and then another task, and then I take a break. And those were very well, they, they, they were very well regulated, very well balanced, because they were using that kind of Pomodoro approach to, I have 30 minutes, I will do this, and then after that, I take a 10-minute break, and then I do, right? So they were in and out. Um, but I think that um, the Pomodoro technique, and I have used it myself, um, especially for when I do my own writing month, uh, in the mornings, I do a Pomodoro technique of whatever you do, just write for an hour, is mm -hmm. it's a way of structuring your time um, that helps you have, like, because for example, when you have a meeting in your calendar, you do that meeting, no matter what, right? Right. Like... You have a meeting. You are accountable to someone else. So you take that meeting. But when you have a meeting with yourself for a whole day, for the Friday, writing Friday that we have, uh, we're not accountable to anybody. So if you're accountable to a timer in the, in the shape of a tomato and that works for you, <laughs> 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 
This is because that's so domestic kitcheny this today. You know what? We got the dishes, we got the timer, we got the tomatoes. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a question of accountability. It's a question of of figuring out a way of keeping yourself regulated. It can be internal regulation. Some people are so good at that. And other people, like for example, me, we're pretty bad at that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so you know I mean, it. But you know it. So you work with that. Yeah. So for example, I know that I have to like for exercising, I have to go to the gym. Uh, doing exercise in my house is not working. Uh, or I have to be accountable. Like I have to have my personal trainer sending me an email saying, Gloria, I haven't seen you exercising on the app. So you really have to do, do it now. Um, or for example, for writing, I like to do writing retreats with other people. So we keep each other accountable. Uh, for mm -hmm. running, the same thing, right? Like we know that if we run with other people, we go for that run. Running alone is harder. Um, so one way that I do for running, for example, is that I pick a podcast that I really like and I'm like, I'm not allowed to listen to the podcast unless I go running. Andy, instead of watching the and I don't run. Yeah, I don't run. I do dishes. <laughs> and I feel like I'm not using podcasts in the right way because when I listen to podcasts, I just sprawl on the sofa. Now, the effect of like having an unregulated life in the way that you describe, right, where you're you're basically feeling as if you are not autonomous, that things are just interrupting you, right? And that, uh, like your friend, Lorianne, who's on the podcast with you, and and you feel like you can't, um, you know, you, you, you don't have that, oh, I forgot what the I stood for. I want to say initiative, but that's wrong. Um, intention. Intention. Okay. Yeah. So, and that it didn't feel, so now your intention is off as that, as Andy was describing, the kind of spiral when something interrupts and then, you know, or that you, you think you're going to um, just watch or read for a few minutes or just look at the paper or whatever, and then you you know, half an hour later, 30 minutes, you know, three hours later, you're still watching, you know, the real housewives of, of Salt Lake yes. City. Um, so <laughs> talk a little bit, because I know part of the, the work that you do is also on stress in the workplace. So this is a very odd mm -hmm. workplace we're talking about now. There's tomatoes going off timers. There's <laughs> dishes being clanked. There's people at the door with pizza. There's a Netflix beckoning, interestingly, in the background. We're sitting in front of our, our, our computers. And the usual kinds of ways that we waste our time, right? Like how many times do you pop out of your office and go just have a chat with somebody? You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. not time that you're actually working unless you're networking or whatever. But at home, this feels very different. And at the end of the day, you can end up feeling horrible, right? Like you yeah. got nothing done or even if you did, it didn't feel like it or you're just out of sorts um, and, and you can't relax because you didn't finish your work or whatever. How, does, how, do, you, how do you work with that? And what do people report to you on that? Uh, well, actually, like uh, from the research that we did uh, right now with this, uh, we figure that one thing that we could do is try to get people to understand what nano transitions are and to understand that idea of error. Uh, so we could like train them or maybe like leaders or supervisors or managers, they can, you know, um, lead with examples. Um, we actually find found people saying, oh yeah, I noticed that my boss uh, was walking outside because I could hear like outdoor noises uh, while we were in a meeting. So I have decided that I'm going to do that too. Like when we're in a meeting, I'm going to go for a walk. Um, so I think that, you know, being aware of the possibilities that we have, like I think that one of the issues right now is that a lot of people move to remote work thinking that they still had to behave like if they were in the office. Um, some of the things that we learned were that people were like, well, you know, 
I do a little bit of an Amazon shopping or like grocery shopping. That would be another nano transition that is totally like functional, right? Like you are doing your your Instacart, so you get your stuff delivered um, for 10 minutes. If you were in the office doing that, you would have done it like hiding from your coworkers <laughs> and your supervisor because that's not what you're supposed to be doing during your work time. Mm. With universe, with university, with with uh, office resources, but now you're in your house. Actually, we're paying our own own Wi-Fi. We have our heating on all the time, right? Like, all yeah, these really, I'll go on Instacart when I feel like it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so let's think about this. Let's think about taking agency on what how you structure your day. Like, is for because on the other hand, uh, if we don't take agency, the agency is going to be taken away from us. Uh, there's a lot of telepressure that people were uh, reporting, and telepressure is the idea, the feeling that you have to be online and on all day. Now that we are home with the pandemic, a lot of people were saying, like, I felt that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't able to disconnect at any time. So some people mm-hmm. started to do rituals, um, like that would be more like micro t- transitions of closing the, down their computer, closing the door of their office if they had one, um, uh, and doing a little bit of, you know, some kind of like changing clothes uh, at the beginning or at the end of the day to structure that part, but also to handle that telepressure. So from my perspective as an occupational health psychologist, but from a feminist uh, perspective, um, I think that what people need to realize is that they can they can now take agency on how they structure that they but also managers need to realize that employees now should use their agency and they should have conversations with them about what do you need how can i support you while you're doing this and when we're coming back to the office if we ever do <laughs> then don't forget People had agency. People were able to organize their days and people were able to keep being uh, performing at high levels. Actually, there's research now showing that uh, performance levels haven't gone down because of the pandemic, if anything has gone up. Um, So people are not doing that bad, (laughs) that badly. Right, because there's That's not that really many people to, to, to have conversations with. It is it is good to hear, but it scares me a little bit. Um, I, a, I'm afraid that you know if productivity becomes the most important thing for, in some you know in some industries or in some work situations that they won't ever let us come back to the workplace. Right? They've also found that the workplace is an expensive thing to keep up. Um, and, 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 maybe- and yeah, and exactly that's why I think that employees should take the agency to take care of their own well being. And, and the others too, and their teams. Like we found that people, for example, started to be like, oh, you know what? I was watching Netflix for an hour, but I didn't feel guilty because I needed this. And I know that my team is okay with that too. I don't feel frustrated because I have to push my meeting a little bit later because another person is taking care of their kids, uh, uh, homeschooling. Like people are understanding that this new situation involves people empowering themselves to make decisions that work for their well-being while maintaining their performance. Uh, and I think that that's, that's important to think about that in terms of that balance between well-being and performance and how you can, you know, you can do that as your own employee, but how supervisors and managers can also um, 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 role play, uh, no, not role play, um, role model. <laughs> <laughs> role model. That you have to start with role play. You're going to pretend to be your supervisor. Yes, <laughs> You're going to pretend to be role my Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, role model that behavior and support that behavior. 
because uh, people cannot be pretending to be working when they can't. Not anymore. So, this is not necessary. So, Gloria, I want to go back to something that you were mentioning about a, a feminist lens or a feminist perspective on this. Is is this idea of empowerment something that is feminist because it comes from a feminist a space of empowerment in general? Or is it feminist because there is a differential way that this kind of work is going to affect men and women? And you've seen that also in the research. So it comes from a, a very, very clear, like very subjective perspective on on, on the idea of how organizations um, organizational cultures and organizational structures are funded on heteropatriarchal structures um, mm-hmm. and how our cultures are based on the idea of competition and performance and productivity and they actually disappear or devalue anything that is related to relational and communal practices. So something along the lines of like caring for the well-being of employees, people taking care of each other, uh, lifting each other up, um, so that's why I say that there that this is from a feminist perspective of also the idea that we need to change a little bit the discourse uh, from productivity to well-being, uh, from competition to to relating to each other, to understanding each other, uh, and to have a more um, communal and less individualistic perspective on these issues, especially during times of crisis like this. So one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show is the potential that this disruptive space or this major change can have on futures in a both positive and negative way. I mean, it's easier for us to talk about the negatives because it's, you know, there's there's a lot to, to be concerned with. But at the same time, do you think it's it's working toward us in a direction of being more communal and supporting well-being? Or is it still on the side of competition and productivity? Or what are you seeing? What are you sensing from the field, from your own observations? Um, well, on one hand, we know that this is affecting women um, more frequently or more intensely than men. Uh, if, if I'm talking in terms of like a cisgender typical family perspective, right? Um, but um, in terms of how things are changing, I think it depends a lot on the organization and, and how the leadership is, again, role modeling um, top, bottom, um, how things are going. So I, I know that it's going to, there, there are teams that are supporting each other. They're being more relational. They're understanding the limitations. So on that, I would say that we're moving forward with like that positive silver lining. Uh, but also we could, we were seeing, for example, a race on, on, preoccupation or worry about what people are doing during work. Uh, and for example, there's um, this software for monitoring what employees are doing in their computer all the time. Uh, and it looks like, you know, uh, companies are starting to look into that. So um, it depends on the organization. There's organizations where trust is uh, is being developed and, and, and more uh, relational practices as, as well, but others where it's going just the other way around. Uh, and they're feeling they're- under stress themselves, aren't they? I mean, one of the things you think about if you're if you're wanting to, in some sense, redo the way we think about productivity, there are going to be companies and institutions that feel more pressed about their productivity because they 
because of the because of the economy and because of what they've mm-hmm. lost in terms of market share and their notions might be that it's not a it's not a um a more communal a less stressed workforce that's going to help them it's got to you know the old model of you know it's it's got to be these kind of um you know this kind of productivity at all costs um breakneck speed kind of response to trying to catch back up so i worry that the that the timing will actually work against your silver lining a little bit. Yeah, we're in time of in time of crisis. You see the best and the worst at the same time. <laughs> so the question is, how can we uh, how can we move forward from lessons learned during these times? Right, like probably at this point, there's companies where you say, like, come on, don't don't look so much into productivity. Be more careful with the well-being of your employees. In the long term, it makes more sense. And they will be like, well, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line. So this is what we're going to do. Like we're seeing that with, um, we have been doing some stuff, some some work, uh, some research on gig work. And we have been following a little bit what's going on in the gig work um, area with the pandemic. And what's happening is that more people are unemployed, more people are using gig work as, um, as something that they can do while they get another um, regular employment. And what's happening is that there's more competition. So gig workers are getting pay less because there's more competition. Uh, and also in the long run, if you think about it, like organizations are also using gig work more to staff um, their projects are the things that they need. Uh, so that's going to lead to a little bit more of globalization on those needs. Um, so the marketplace is going to look very, very different after this pandemic ends. And, yeah. and we have to brace ourselves for that because it could be. There was a real outcry at the, at the Super Bowl, wasn't there? There was a, there was a, a, a ad, which is always the most interesting part of the Super Bowl, where they had actually done Dolly Parton song nine to five in the inverse five to nine. Mm-hmm. And there was a great outcry against it because it was about working for either a four hour shift, which sounded like gig work or a 16 hour shift, which sounds like what Amazon is right now doing with its, with its um, distribution centers. Um, yeah, with a graveyard so, shift. Yeah. Yes. I mean, where, you, where you, it's called the graveyard shift because it actually will kill you. Um, and so, <laughs> You know, I think that this is, I think it's, it will be the companies who see their, their, their best resource as the people, as opposed to their product that will, will make it through here with the kind of, um, the kind of optimism that you make, that you make us feel when you realize that we can reinscribe the way we work, um, and take that charge over it. And actually, like, you know, to be honest, I'm talking about the participants in our study that we are grateful for them were the ones who were who had flexibility, enough flexibility to do a interview with us in the middle of the day. Right. Uh, so well, we didn't we didn't learn about the experiences of people that don't have the flexibility or that don't have the energy at the end of the day to have an interview with us. Uh, so these are the people who kind of were like working for companies that took care of them and that they were allowed to have the flexibility. But, you know. Um, we, we don't have the experience of other people. And these are only the people who were working remotely. So they're, they're doing jobs that actually uh, can be done remotely. Uh, there's a lot of people working during the pandemic, a lot. Uh, like, for example, the Amazon um, cent- uh, center uh, workers. So right. they can't work remotely. It, it is, 
there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of things are there's people that are happy about working from home. Like to be honest, like my my spouse um, lives in Arizona. I live in California. Since the pandemic, this is the best thing ever (laughs) because we're both working from home. So we have been together since the pandemic started. Uh, But that's my silver lining that is totally personal. Uh, I cannot impose that onto, you know, um, the negative experiences that other people are having because they cannot see their family that I have. I'm having too um, because I, I cannot see my family neither. They're in Spain, so I haven't seen them in a year. So there's... There's bats. Um, you no, know, as I said, in times of crisis, the worst and the best comes out. Yes, and here's Andy washing so many dishes, the cleanest dishes in town. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't surprise me. You know, like they had this expression for a certain kind of drama that came out in Britain in the 1950s. They called it kitchen kitchen sink drama. But I think that actually the reason that we've actually been hovering around the kitchen sinks in this conversation is that our workspace has become domesticated. Yes. And um, it doesn't surprise me that uh, that we took up the topics that we did um, because it is not, you know, Gloria, it was not as if we thought you were working on what people are doing in their kitchens or what, the, you know, but this idea of the nano transition has kept us at home in our conversation. Exactly. And imagine people in like in tiny apartments in Brooklyn or in Manhattan, like they're literally working at their kitchen. <laughs> Right. Or like they have a closet that's now, uh, they actually, there's made some, they, I forgot what the portmanteau word is, but there's a word for a closet that you also make into your office. I think it's called a closet, a, a cloffice, a cloffice, a, a closet yes. office, you know, and I'm like, okay, so don't make that cute. I can't, I can't take that. Um, but, um, and they showed up, there was a, a really powerful um, essay, uh, basically a special, special feature in, in last Sunday's Sunday times about women, how, how hard the, the pandemic working with yes. been on working women and they they uh, showed a woman who is in a closet typing and her daughter is playing underneath the, the desk and um, the other one is sort of sitting huddled over in a corner um, trying to do her homework on a screen and um, the times one of the things that they had done was that they opened up a phone line just so women could call and just say how they felt. And they ended up titling this special feature primal scream because so many women just waited until, you know, it clicked open and they just screamed into the phone and then hung up. Wow. And so it, you know, it's really, it's, 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 it was, it was an incredibly powerful um, feature last Sunday and was also just harrowing. Um, because so much, as you said a, a little while ago, so much of this has actually fallen on women who's who's already have like sort of the major responsibility for work in the home. So I'm thinking that their nano transitions are probably more domestically oriented already. Yeah, and um, not to and and there's not not much air on those nano transitions. <clears throat> no, um, no, there's not. I actually was horrified talking to a, a friend of mine. Well, I, 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 I do a Zoom, sweep, uh, Zoom wine sipping every Thursday with my, with my friends from Canada because I just moved from Canada a year ago. Um, so I moved and then pandemic. <laughs> so <laughs> Welcome to California, Welcome. Gloria. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> In, enjoy it. So they were telling me about their friends and how they're dealing with things. And, and there were like several examples of both of them so cisgender, like heterosexual couples, uh, both of them working from home. And then he's like, yeah, I'm doing calls all day. So see you at five and go inside his office and close the door. 
And then, oh. and oh. then the spouse going like, uh, okay. And, and what it was like, kind of like, um, I, I was surprised by it was how this story was told as this is a normal thing. And they were like, okay, well, um, this is, this is why I am the one dealing with the kids. And I, and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how someone can do that. <laughs> just close Did the door say and say, hey, see you at five. I don't know. It's just that I, I'm, I'm, I'm the feminist, the most feminist one without kids. So I cannot say much. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, think, I think it is important, Gloria, that as you, as you bring back that this idea of, of feminism isn't just what is necessarily for women, but it's a different way of looking at the structure of work so that it's not just about competition yeah. is part of that story too. I think that, and I think that it is apt that we had, you know, uh, women in science was celebrated yesterday and that, I don't know, in, in four weeks or so, three, we, we've got international women's day. Yeah, is that right? That's on, on, March the 8th. Yeah. And March the 8th. And, and you're celebrating that at the, the institution at CGU. What, what is it that you're, putting together for oh yeah so um so the worker well-being lab um so if you if you google cgu worker well-being our lab is the first page that comes out um and there we have like um in the events tab the celebrations of uh, international women's day and uh we are going to be doing like uh, on thursday during our lab meeting is going to be open for everybody and we're going to be uh, watching feminist skits um one of the the ones are going to be about the baroness von sketch show is a um, Canadian show by four comedians and a lot of very diverse writers and it's so fun so if you want um, just come by uh, on Thursday the 4th then Thursday the 5th uh, we're doing an, a screening of a documentary an award-winning documentary called Picture a Scientist that follows three women scientists um, during their careers and how hard is that for them. And it actually like kind of, um, it resonates with yesterday's uh, February 11th, uh, International Day of uh, the Women and Girl in Science. And um, and then on March the 8th, uh, we're going to have, uh, I'm going to give a, a very brief talk about uh, po uh, feminist positive organizational psychology, where I will be talking a little bit more about this idea of relational practices in workplaces. And, and then we will have a panel so far uh, with uh, Dean, uh, Dean Blyke uh, from um, SSPE and uh, Dr. Cindy Gilliland, who's the director of the HR program at DBOS at, um, at CGU. So that's kind of what we, we have planned for that. And we're super excited. Well, I'm going to quit work well, for those days I'm, and go. I'm, I'm going to make a, ma <laughs> a, ma a macro transition and, and cancel yes. my... That's wonderful. <laughs> That's yeah, and yes, and actually, the picture scientist is going to be uh, supported by the by CGU. We're going to get a license, so we can do these many times after that, like for other oh, people good. who couldn't do it on on that day on the fifth at three p.m. So, oh, that sounds great. Well, um, Gloria. What wonderful yes. work you're doing! Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just. I love the fact that you have the acronym Air. It it works so well on this podcast. But you <laughs> yes. thought of it without without having heard our podcast. But I like that we have a, an emergent theme here, um, and um, and I and I and I I look forward to uh, reading more of your work with your brilliant students. 
Yeah, well, we we were um, showcased by Quartz, so there's a little bit of a uh, of a piece on that at Quartz at work. Um, and as I said at the beginning, is is the work of my students who work so hard um, putting all these together in nine months. I just I'm 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 kind of like impressed with the quality of our students at CU. <laughs> oh, oh, say it again. That's wonderful. Yes. So, so thank you, Gloria. And I know that uh, you have a Twitter feed mm-hmm. also. What is your What is your Twitter handle? It's Work Life Diary. <laughs> All right, okay, Work Life Diary. So, so to catch other things going on in in the lab, and uh, I think musings and and retweets and and other things to keep you uh, in the world of work and stress, especially in these times of work and and stress and different ways to look at them and in both the best and and the most troubling lights. I think that there's, there's a lot of hope to be there. And I'm just so glad that we were able to have you as a guest today on our show. I'm so happy we did this. I'm going to be happy all weekend because of that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to say, Gloria. Thank you for being one of our guests and, um, and eliciting from Andy, this incredible, um, admission about his, his dishwashing. Um, you know, (laughs) I'm telling you the things you learn about someone you think, you know, when you get to meet somebody else, um, I will definitely be looking at that blog. Yeah, I actually was thinking that your neighbors should uh, give you like a dishwasher machine and then everything. They should. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm willing to crowdsource for, for a, uh, a dishwasher in my place. Well, Andy, it's time to go washing your dishes again. Um, and, it, it um, is. I, I really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm touched by that. Um, although I know what it's like to feel like, I mean, dishes are like, a, you know, are like some kind of a subconscious. They feel like when they pile up, you feel like your world is a chaos. Um, shall we end with a poem today? Like we, we I always like ending to. with a poem. And you know, you picked a really good one and it was so good that I wanted to read it, but I feel so sorry for you now with your dishpan hands and everything. I would like you no, to read this. Please read poem. it. Are, are you sure? I'm absolutely sure. It's wonderful. You chose it. And, and I was just being greedy when we were, when we were negotiating earlier and, and there's no reason for me to do that when I have a poem for next week. So please, um, okay. pipe right. us out with this wonderful poem. Uh, this is a poem called Parivian, uh from a work called Under the Radar, I think by Maria Taylor. Air-speeded letters sing the light of home. Lyrical with distance, the blue and red flecked envelopes become a mother. Home so far away it turns into myth. Memory lapses into dream and dreams are forgotten. The only reality is ink. Your mother's handwriting, neat and clean, on the blue paper, soon spidered with age. Hands tremoring, years passing, like the planes tearing overhead as letters exchange over the arc of earth between a woman and her son, Paravion. Faces half recalled, revived by pen. Sisters getting married, fathers always busy, babies getting born, you missing. Homesickness is an open wound. You may have thrown the letters away, but I saw the blood through your shirt. It spoke with a red mouth. Oh, that makes me sad. But it, it is melancholy. It, it is, is melancholy. melancholy but, but homesickness, I think it's interesting. We talked about a different kind of homesickness today, of being in the home. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm, we forget exactly. that homesickness is about distance. That's right. It's, it's around that original idea of when can I see my family again? And... 
it's a different kind of gratitude to have when you're when you're when can I get away from my family or when can I get away from wait till we see when we get what we wish for but I wish for you those reunions and I'm thinking about Gloria's family away far away in Spain and um and I'm thinking about all the people that I would like to see that I haven't seen for a very long time now And, and maybe this is a this is a good way to end on that kind of bittersweet note after a great conversation with a marvelous guest uh, and after hearing so much about you Andy things that we will never forget like you're going to have to take a picture and put it on your website of you in those gloves I am going to be doing dishes the second we end this podcast all right <laughs> so we better let you go, go then so I'm going to say goodbye and thank you and until next week everyone or until we- two weeks from now okay until next time yes bye bye